Thanks for coming. I know it's uh, coldest day of the year out there, so thanks for that. Um, any of you going to the Bears game on Sunday? Why do you laugh? I was at the Bears. Did I tell you? You know, you're hot. I did tell you. Yeah, that was stupid. That was stupid. I would have never made it out of Kitty Oak Is that right? No, it's not. Sunday at 10.15. Will you walk upstairs and ask? Yeah, sorry. Wondered why there were two. Okay, uh, let's see. You all just keep talking amongst yourselves. Go another minute or two. Keep going. You, all, you guys want to start, okay? I'm just going to have a seat. And... How's everything at White House Black Market now that you're in charge? Okay. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, let's get started. Let's get started. Um, the question was asked at the end of the last last Friday uh, what we were going to do next. Thanks, Jan. If you can start that around. Um, the question was asked what we're going to do next. Now, as you know, we finished that book, um, The Sayings of the Desert Mothers. We finished that. And actually, uh, Jeanette was kind enough to give some suggestions. Um, and I think, well, um, I think in some respects the book was very good. Um, in other respects, it's very hard to do a book like that where you all don't have the book. So you all show up and I give you, you know, 20 pages and then we have to go through it in real time. That's never easy. Thanks for coming. Great to see you. Come on in. Uh-oh. That's okay. If I was younger and more immature like four years ago, I would have made fun of you at this point, but I won't. I'll, I'll spare myself. How is that? That's right. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, the question. So it's always difficult to do a book like that. In the past, we've done a book. We've given you the book, but you know, not all of you want to spend 20 bucks on a book that you may not read again. So I get that as well. Um, but some people did ask. Okay, if the key to the text was you know simplicity, if that's basically what that book was saying, live a simplified life. How do we do that in real time? Um, and that's good, but there's no real how-to book to uh, to use. So. What I think we might do, and this would appease some of you who want to do a different thing, and it would also appease some of you who want to know, okay, how do we put this into practice? What I think we're going to do is use this book, and you don't need to buy it because it's very expensive, called Women of the Bible, and it's artwork, famous art pieces of famous women in the Bible. Okay? And so it's, a, I mean, good women, bad women, indifferent women. Um, let me just, I'll give you some examples of who all is in here. Sarah, Hagar, the daughter, daughters of Lot, Pharaoh's daughter, Miriam, Bathsheba, Eve, uh, Mary, Joanna, Mary Magdalene. Um, so anyways, and it's very interesting. I mean, it's artwork from all generations um, relating these different stories of women in the Bible. So what I'd like to do, and I think Pastor Bruzek would like to do it as well. He was supposed to be up today, but um, you have me. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so it, with very little preparation, what I think we'd like to do is let's start looking at some of these pictures. And in the picture, there's so much to be seen. We're not going to see it all at once. But at the same time, I want you to tell me what you see. I think I see different things when I look at artwork than some of you, and that's for different reasons. Some of you are artists. I'm not. Um, as you saw in the Sunday morning Bible study, I had to draw my stick figures, and they weren't accurate. Um, so... This is not my thing. At the same time, I tend to view things differently maybe than you do because I'm not an artist, I'm not a woman, and I'm always looking for different connections maybe. So this should be fun. Um, so let's look at some of these.
pictures of famous women of the Bible. We could do this for five or six weeks, maybe, um, and see what they teach us about what we learn from the desert mothers. And I think, I think this is the key. And tell me if you saw something different. The key to the desert mothers, what they were pushing us towards, was a life of simplicity. Now, if you had to describe in a word or two how the desert mothers achieved simplicity, what would you say? What do they do to achieve simplicity? Well, no, that's actually not fair. They didn't run away from their responsibilities. Uh, they quieted their lives. That's a different way of saying it. Because to run away from responsibilities is actually sin. Um, and they didn't do that. They quieted their lives. How did they quiet their lives? Yes, good. So they got rid of some stuff. Uh, and uh, actually, you know what? Let's just simplify this too. They gave up. They gave stuff up. And what else did they, what else did they do? Yeah, that would, be, that would be in some sense fair, but I, I want to be very general here. They gave stuff up, and they didn't take more on. Okay? There are two ways to become simplified. You give stuff up, or you don't take more stuff on. Um, and my guess is, well, what would be more difficult for you, to give stuff up or to not take more stuff on? I'm talking stuff. I'm talking responsibility. Uh, in responsibility in... in more than you can actually handle. What else? Not the day-to-day -day stuff. That's, that's necessary. What else? What would be more difficult for you, to give stuff up or to not take stuff on? Probably not to take stuff on, I think. Um, why is that? Why is it more difficult for us to not take stuff on? Yeah, that's the hard thing. Um, yeah, you don't want to disappoint people. It's hard to say no. What else? Yeah, you feel guilty because like you haven't done enough. And you're and, and in some sense, the human condition is that we're never satisfied. Right? I mean, there are some points in your life where you can sit down and say, wow, that was good. You know, my family was good for Christmas. The meal was good. That conversation was good. But at the same time, um, the human condition is that you're always expecting there could be more out there, something maybe you're not aware of, right? Like, what if I just had that car? Or what if I just had that house? Or what if my wife was just like that? Or my husband was just like that, right? Um, so simplicity is to give stuff up or to not take more on. However, when you give stuff up or you don't take more on, the natural process is a grieving process. Why do you grieve certain things? Good. You sound like my mom growing up. That's what my mom used to say all the time. If you want to play football? That's fine, but you're going to play the whole year. You're not going to quit. If I'm paying for the equipment, you're not going to quit. It was all about money for them. Yeah. It wasn't about me. It was just about the cash. Yes, it is. Thank you. Now you sound like my dad. My mom it was about the cash. My dad was, this is a learning experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. So honest people uh, do what they say, and dishonest people don't. So that's part of giving stuff up or not giving stuff. Okay, good. Um, keep. Again, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't know if responsibility is the right word because you don't give. If, if it's a responsibility, that means it's necessary. You don't give up. Responsibility is like you love your wife. Yeah. So to give stuff up, it can be material stuff, or it could be. Um, 
just being, yeah, just being overstretched. There's a, comes a point where you do so much that you actually can't fulfill all those commitments. So it's not just stuff. It's not like, go give up your TV and your car, you should live off the grid. <laughs> Have you heard this before, Ab? Yeah. <laughs> I said to my in-laws, they said, what should we get you for Christmas? I said, give money to charity in my name. That didn't go so well. Okay? Yeah. Because, because for my in-laws, and I love them to death, but for my in-laws, more stuff must mean you love me more. But the problem is, well, yeah, more stuff means you love you more, and that's actually not the way I view the world. So, uh, good. What else? There is a grieving process. Why do you grieve? Anything in life, why do you grieve it? Just think about death. It's loss, exactly. That's the key. So in, in one instance, it's a loss of stuff. So we'll put loss here in big letters. Loss of stuff. And in this instant, instance, what, it, what is it? It's a loss of what? It's a loss of your idea or your ideal, what you think life should be. Because you don't have it to give away, but you're not going to take it on. So if you think life means um, you know, a $600,000 home, and you've always lived your, your life wanting this white picket fence, and then you realize you don't really need it, when you give that up, you are going to grieve that because it's a loss of an ideal. You've convinced yourself that's the way life should be. And sometimes that's actually more difficult than giving up the stuff. Yeah, it could be. If your identity is defined by what you're striving after. Do you know people like this? Describe to me what their life looks like. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either, if it makes you feel any better. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, can, can just now play this all the way out, because this is actually helpful. I know there are some people. OK, so a couple things happen. People have the money to buy the stuff, and they do it, and it becomes a sport. Some people go figure, don't have the money to buy the stuff, and yet they still do, yeah, which makes it doubly difficult, because then you not only have too much stuff, but you also have to pay a bill that you can't afford. But if you have too much stuff, what happens to your life? Is it ordered or chaotic? It's chaotic. I mean, you've seen this. People who have very, very nice stuff. I don't mean you buy chintzy stuff, but very nice stuff, and you walk in, and it's chaos, right? It's utter chaos every day. Ab, what? Sorry? You had your hand up, and I skipped right over you. Moment passed. OK. So partly, um, OK, this is an idea. We want to be sim we want not simplistic. We want a simpler life. We know how to do it. You give stuff up, or you don't take more on. And this, you know, in some sense, I think Jen's right. This can be more difficult. For some of you, this is going to be much easier. I mean, if I can get rid of more stuff, that is a good day for me. If I can shred stuff, if I can throw stuff away, if I can give stuff away, if I can clean up, that's a good day. This sometimes is more difficult because you have an ideal of what life should be like. And if you're not meeting that expectation, what do you feel like? A failure. Yes. Right. Why do, and for those of you who are young moms, I mean, you can answer the question, why do you feel the necessity to do that? You have an ideal of what motherhood should be. Right? Yes. Yeah. Good. I could fold my own socks, too. Yeah, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> Good. So, so that might be a little different than someone who works and says, uh, my ideal is a pay raise, my ideal is this, and this is how my existence is justified. 
I'm commended, I get a raise, I get a bonus, I don't get fired. For you, that's very different. Okay, can I ask, can I ask you a question? Can I, and you don't have to answer, but I mean, I know you fairly well. You've talked about just being at home. Are there other things in your life you've committed to that you could give up that wouldn't affect your family the way that maybe not cleaning the bathroom would? Because here's what I think happens. Let me just, I'll just, now I'll assert what I think happens because it happens in my own family. You're right. You have this sphere of activity. You're in charge of the home because Matt's working. But there are a hundred other things you do outside the home that you've committed to that maybe you wouldn't need to commit to that would make your life simpler, easier, and more ordered. You're right. Just like if I say I'm not coming to work for a week, what happens? You get fired. If you don't go to work for a week at home, what happens? Everything's in chaos. But are there other things in your life that you've committed to, or I can ask anybody else. It's not just you. I'm not trying to pick on you. But are there other things in your life you've committed to that really are not necessities in the same way that is? Anybody? Go ahead. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. So that's part. So part of it we have to protect ourselves from losing our identity. Go ahead. Uh, it. Yes. Okay. So basically, what I hear you saying, and this obviously would be different for those of you who have kids that are outside the home or retired, or but in some sense it's still the same. You have responsibilities, and you have a need to sort of shape your own identity or not lose the identity you have, right? Um, so that's, so we got to figure that out, how you can not give up your responsibility, because that's, ne that's necessary, and how you can not give up your identity. You don't just become the maid, right? Because that, I mean, really, that's actually, you know, in, sometimes I come home and I feel like, our expectations of Abby being at home or that she's the maid. And that really is not my identity of her, my vision of her identity, but that's sometimes what it be can become very quickly. And I know that that's demeaning and it doesn't build people up and it's hard on people. So it's the same way for you. You don't want to lose your identity. So we, that's got to be a push and a pull. We got to figure that out because responsibilities are necessary. At the same time, your own identity is necessary. Right, so that's the, so that's the question. Yeah, so here's the thing. Yes, exactly. So here's the thing. That's, that's the point of all this is we've got to figure out you've got responsibility. You've got an identity that needs to be cared for, nurtured. I was going to say secured, but that's not the right word. Cared for, nurtured. To nurture your identity naturally in the world means you take on more stuff. You do more things. But then what happens? You don't have simplicity. So I wonder, okay, so this, this, is, this is necessary. I mean, you can't say, I'm not going to do what I'm responsible for, because then there's chaos. This is the one, I think, where we can have a little push and a pull. Because here, this needs to be nurtured. That was a very good word, whoever said it. But the way in which, it, which it's nurtured, that's what needs to be worked on. Because I think what the desert mothers and frankly, what Jesus himself is saying is that this is nurtured not by doing more, but by doing less. But that sounds odd. It sounds odd for Abby. It sounds odd for you. It sounds odd for Rachel. It sounds odd for Kate, for all, you know, Jen, all the people who have young kids who are doing multiple things, and frankly, for all of you as well. So how do we do that? That's the question. And I would at least propose, so let's think about this. 
everybody, I don't think there's anybody in the room who doesn't want this. Is there anybody here who says, I don't want a simpler, more ordered life? Okay, good. Everybody understands how it can happen. Give stuff up, don't take more stuff on. Everybody understands that that involves a loss of stuff or a loss of ideals and or maybe your own perception of your identity. Not maybe Christ's perception, but your perception. This is the hardest part. I think part of it is it's not that we don't know how to give stuff up or what it involves. We don't know how to grieve it. So what happens when you don't? Think about now death in your family. If you don't know how to grieve death, what happens? You get angry. Get depressed. Every holiday is a disaster, right? Now, some people, this is why you know people need to learn how to grieve well. Grieving doesn't mean you don't um, feel some sense of loss or you don't feel sad or you don't feel angry, but it means that's not what defines you ultimately. So I think part of it is we need to learn how to grieve. Not death, necessarily, but maybe the death of our ideals or the death of our stuff. That makes sense? Okay, so uh, anything else on that? Because I want to move on to look at a picture that may help us with this. Thoughts, comments, suggestions? Yes, Sandy. Yes, good. Right. Good. That is actually, I actually appreciate the honesty because that is an example that everyone knows, but few people are willing to speak about. And, and, and the other thing is. I don't have Exactly. And let me say this, let me say this, just if you, and, and you all know this, but no matter where you fell on the side of the school, whether or not you thought it was a good idea, a bad idea, a good use of money, a bad use of money, I can tell you this, everybody involves, everybody involved grieves its loss. Okay? Even me. I mean, and, and I know the word on the street is I don't. Actually, I do, because I realize that my kid will have one more year of Lutheran education, at this institution, and then who knows what it is. So I, I value that, um, and I grieve its loss. So it's not fair to say some people don't grieve its loss. Everybody grieves its loss, but for a variety of reasons. Um, I want to give you, so thank you, that was a great example. I want to give you two images of mourning death. I'll give you the second one in a minute, and then I want to put them next to each other and see what we see. Anybody know who this might be? Anybody seen this before? This is Adam and Eve grieving the death of Abel, their son. Okay? Now, uh, you know, who knows the story of Abel? Tell me the story of Cain and Abel, what happened. Ten words or less. You're teaching Sunday school. Cain killed Abel. Yeah, I always remember that because Cain is a k and killed is a k. So Cain killed Abel, right? Uh, why did he kill Abel? Do you remember? He gave a better sacrifice. Yeah, he was a little more faithful. He was jealous. Yeah, the root of all evil is jealousy and pride, and that's, that was Cain's problem. Cain then became jealous and prideful of his brother. Uh, he killed his brother. And Abel has some, um, some very deep connections to Jesus. What would they be? One, he's murdered. Thank you, Claire. One, he's murdered for doing what was right. What are some other connections to Jesus? He's the first to die. Do you remember what it says in Hebrews? where it talks about Jesus being the high priest and his blood. What does it say? His blood speaks a better word than that of Abel. Remember that? I think it's Hebrews 13. So the blood of Abel, as it says in Genesis, cried out from the ground. It gave a witness. It gave a sermon. 
And then the blood of Jesus, of course, cries out from the cross. It gives a witness. It gives a sermon. So all the way back at the beginning, you have these connections between Abel and Jesus, and of course between Eve and Mary. Right, exactly. So what do you see in this picture? Just what, what jumps off the page at you? Anything? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little more difficult to see with Adam um, because you can't quite see his expression. But what's the expression on Eve's face? Yeah, it's almost disbelief, and it, it is a compassionate look. Have you ever seen... Have you ever seen the look of a wife at her husband's casket right as they're about to close it? Been married a long time. It's sort of this look of sadness and loss, not really anger, depending on how the death occurred, but this look of we had a lot of good time together. You ever seen that look on someone's face like, I will really miss this? That is in some sense what I see in Eve's face here. It's a different deal. That's right. That's exactly right. The world's upside down. Yep. Yeah. And it almost, I mean, at this point, you have to wonder, just look at Eve's face. You have to wonder if she knows who did it. Well, yeah, I mean, but, here, yeah, but here's the thing. They also, uh, they've also talked to the serpent at this point. So there is someone else around. Um, but, yeah, what exactly did it? Or how did it occur? Or... All these questions that a mother would ask, you know, when her son has been killed and she wasn't there to see it. What else do you see? Why did it have to be my kid? What she's probably thinking is, why wasn't it me? <laughs> or the old man. Right. We were the ones who listened, not him. Yeah, uh, let's go back to the corner. We'll come with you, okay? Go ahead, Jen. Yes. Tom, yeah. He, sort of acceptance of the reality. It's almost like if you... If you um, now this is an analogy, so don't it doesn't work all the way out. But it's almost almost would be like if you had given your kids the wrong dosage of medicine, and you knew that if you did if you if you gave them the wrong dosage, it would kill them, and you didn't mean to do it, but it happened, and you sort of say, "What have I done?" Right? I mean, why did this occur? Well, I know why it occurred, but I still am in disbelief. What? No, that that's right. Good. Good. What else? Yes. He almost does look like he's crying, doesn't he? I mean, he... How did it... Yes, exactly. He almost... I mean, he's sort of hunched over on his on his staff there. He can't quite hold himself up, right? Yes. Yes. What else? It's funny. Nobody's talked about the light yet. Go ahead. Abby in the back. Oh, I'm sorry, Jan. I waited. Sorry. Right. Um, I don't want to say too much because I have more. Keep going, Abby. What'd you have? Yeah, it's they've sort of just stumbled upon him, but it hasn't been that long. Good. Keep going. Well, let me ask you this first. It looks like everything is dark, except for, of course, off in the distance, and then the people involved. But if you look at, if you look at Abel, what parts of Abel are dark still? His hands and his feet. It almost is as though, as the light begins to finally come upon them, how does the light work from the inside out, right? It sort of radiates through him. It sort of goes from, you know, from his stomach down then to his hands and to his feet and to his head. It's like 
the light sort of the light is sort of infused into into Abel, and then Abel begins to radiate with the light. And you can't quite tell that in Adam and Eve because they're covered up. Um, but certainly, you know, Eve's, for instance, her hairline right below, you know, whatever she's wearing as a covering is darker than, say, her hands. That makes sense. What else do you see? Okay. Let me just let me just, continue to look. I'm just going to write a few things that you all said. Uh, point point to me. What are you looking at? Yeah, I think the uh, say that again. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like. Um, yeah, it looks like something. Yeah, I don't quite know if that's like. It does. It does look like a structure. It does look like um, yeah. Down there, there's sort of a structure down there at the bottom, like it's a small altar. At the same time, it almost looks like there's a hole in the ground, which would be reminiscent of some grave. Now, graves usually were in the side of rock, not dug down. But um, you're certainly near the side of a cliff there. I don't know what that is. And frankly, they don't go into enough detail in the book. So I can't tell you what the author intended. Although, if you wanted, I could give you the name. i got to look in the book, and you could Google it up and see if you could find something. Anything else? Yeah, Jeanette. Could could be, yeah, could be. It, it's hard to judge scale here. If that's a building, like it's further away, or if it's close enough that that really is like a 36-inch altar, you know? What else? Yes. Yeah, there's life amid death. Exactly. It does, doesn't it? That was what I first thought it was when I first glanced at it. You see anything else? Yeah, exactly. Dark, right. And that could be what it intends. I don't know. I just find it interesting that there's no light in the picture except off in the distance, like the sun, and then amid those who are part of the family. Let me hand you a different one, OK? Uh, I can look it up for you. It's in the book. Yeah, when Tammy made copies, she did a great job, but she didn't include the biographical information. So this one, I think you'll know the artist. It, that one does, doesn't it? I had never seen it before. Now, I want you to sort of put these side by side. I'll show you what you can do. Yeah, there you go. Everybody have one? And I sort of set this. This, of course, is um, yeah, is, is uh, Mary and Jesus. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, of course, is Van Gogh, um, which you all knew. Let me find the... Just take a look at that and see what you see. Don't tell me yet, because I want to see who this is. Johann Liss, Adam and Eve lamenting the death of Abel. It's L-I-S-S is his last name. Johann, J-O-H-A-N-N. Johann Liss, Adam and Eve lamenting the death of Abel, 1624 to 1625, Venice, Italy. Now, obviously in this one, you don't have you don't have Joseph because most likely Joseph had died by the time Jesus died. Um, and, and Jesus' other father is, of course, the father in heaven. So in some sense, it is the exact same picture as Adam, Eve, and Abel. Uh, you just don't see the picture of the father because the father is invisible. But if you sort of, if you sort of, look, at, if you sort of look at Mary's reaction, just what do you see in that? And maybe even say to yourself, what do you see or how might it compare to the picture of Eve looking at Abel? Very good. What else? You know, the first thing that struck me, look at, look at the way Mary's head is tilted. 
And look at the way Eve's head is tilted. Yeah, exactly. Yes, good. And I actually don't think resignation is a bad word. Um, I think it actually describes this well. They've resigned themselves to this fact. What else do you see? Yes. Good. So she not only grieves the loss of something else, but in the loss of something else, a part of her has died. That's good. That'll be important. And you also notice, you know, the classic Pieta is where Mary's sort of holding Jesus. This actually doesn't quite look like that. In fact, it looks like um, in the painting of this, there was no intent to make Jesus look pretty, make him look, you know, secure, make him look cared for. It's almost as though, as you said, Holly, he's like falling out of her arms, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it's sort of like, yeah, it's sort of like she's holding him, and now she's now she's like standing up from the Pieta, and what happens? It's like she lets go of her son, right? And then, of course, the son, the next step would be to look like Abel. He would be sort of on the ground then in whatever position he landed, right? So you see the progression here? What else do you see in the picture? Ah, yes, good. Uh, but not much, right? Not much. Now, for Abel, it was natural, and for Jesus, it was a mockery. But yeah, both are covered, right? Both are covered, good. What do you see... What do you see in Mary's face? Yeah, there's, yeah. She's empty. Yep. Yes, the sword has finally pierced her soul. That's right. Yeah, isn't that interesting? She is, um, and I think it doesn't show up very well on this paper, but she really is. Um, now, you want to be theologically correct here. So you wouldn't say, her image is reflected in his. His image is his image is reflected in Mary. But yes, they almost look they almost look the same. Especially his his lower body. I mean, the the upper part is darker, but I think that's because she's sort of shading him, right? Yeah. Do you see anything? She looks dead. Right. Yeah. And in in a real sense, so does Eve, except her hands. If you look at Eve over her son, doesn't her face look like the life has gone out of it? Do you see anything else? Yeah. No, I think you're right. But she is looking to something else. And obviously you could make a lot from that. You could say she's looking forward, she's looking ahead. Maybe she's not. <laughs> you, yeah. That's it. That's all there is. Yeah. Yeah. It always has intrigued me because you don't get much of this in the Gospels. John gives you maybe a little, but you don't get much of what occurred in those, say, 45 minutes between, okay, it's getting dark, we got to take him down, and they got him down and sort of wrapped him up and walked him over wherever the tomb may have been, how close, you know, those sorts of things. You don't get a real sense of what occurred. I mean, if you've ever seen a mother who's been around to witness the death of her child, often there's not an ability for the mother to let her child go. And you don't have a description of that in the Gospels, but you have to imagine that's what occurred. And this is, it almost is like she's either resigned herself to the fact, okay, I can let him go, or like you don't have the picture of the other people in here, but they're in there sort of taking her hands back, like you've got to let go of your son. Right? Yeah. Sort of, yeah. I don't know either, yeah. Right. There's something in front of her which is giving off light. 
It's almost like she's... Exactly, right. It's almost like... Now, this would be a time thing. It's almost like she's looking forward to an empty tomb. Where... So G, Exactly, and the other one rises. And that's why, yes, um, that's why at the Easter Vigil, part of the chant is, this is the night from whence all nights receive their light. Isn't that great? The resurrection is the light from whence all nights receive their light. So you have this idea that the light of the world is going down, darkness covers the face of the deep. You're taken back to creation, right? Because Jesus has died, and at the same time, it's not without hope she's looking forward to an empty tomb where the light which has no end will live forever. I hadn't noticed that. That's great. Exactly. Who knows? It does. Yeah, it does. It almost looks like... Exactly. Well, I think the artist would have intended it, whether or not we can... Yeah. He didn't give us a real good description. Or this woman didn't, at least. <laughs> but it's like, you have to read this like a book. It's been written. Do you see anything else? Yeah, it's almost as though his eyes have not yet closed, right? Now, I wonder, here's the thing. Now, let's go all the way back to the beginning. What can you learn about your own loss, grieving your own loss, from the loss of Mary and the loss of Eve? What can you see in these paintings that might give you some hope that things could get better? Because neither of these are good pictures. I mean, neither of these are you know, the most happy moments of a person's life, the happiest moments of a person's life. But what in them, what in Mary and what in Eve, might teach you something about grieving your own loss? I marked a few here, but what jumped out at you? Or what from the pictures? Does this make sense what I'm asking you? Yeah, I mean, I think what, yeah. I mean, a couple things are interesting. Peace, release, or resignation. Although, when it happens, a part of you dies. Your identity, your ideals, your stuff, what you've accumulated, you almost have to turn your glance and not look at it. This is like Jesus in Luke 9.51. He sets his face to do something, and he does it. He never looks back. What happened, you know, they're Abraham and Lot, and they look back, and boom, pillar of salt. But there's also hope. But why is there hope? I, I didn't actually think about this, Abby, but I think you're right. You don't touch what was lost. Because what happens if you touch it? Salt? Or, yeah, yeah. Or you want it back. You want it back. Yeah. Let me play my you know, PS3 one more time before I give it away. Well, guess what? You're not giving it away then that day. Yeah. Uh, when they're plowing. Yeah, exactly. So all these things, and you almost have to start down here with sort of the not-so-fun stuff. Don't touch what was lost. Right? Turn your glance. Realize that part of you will die with the loss. And I realize this sometimes, this is maybe the most tempting. This is maybe the most painful. The part of you has died. But when you can get through all this, maybe these three bits right here, turn your glance, part of you have died, and don't touch what was lost. There's peace. There's resignation. There is um, acceptance. And eventually, there's hope. That makes sense? So it sort of works like this. It's like anything else in the Christian life. There's pain. You get through it. There's resignation. But on the far side of resignation is hope.
So this is sort of a negative. Uh, this is a neutral. And this is a positive. Par yes, par this is partly why um, people don't always, people don't hate change. People really hate what? Loss. And partly a change can be a loss, and a change cannot be a loss. I think we've said this in sermons and Bible studies. If I give you a million bucks, that's a change. You won't hate it. <laughs> if I take a million bucks, that's a change, and you will hate it because <laughs> it's a loss. So partly, um, part of the pain process, part of the spending time process is to make up your mind to do something and to live with that for a few days before you actually do it. I say this to teachers or to pastors who want to take a call. I'll often say, you know, that can be a big change, and there's some loss involved. Um, make your decision and spend a week and think about it before you tell anybody. And if you're still happy with it, then move forward. Now, there are some changes you have to make, and it doesn't matter if you're happy or not. But there are some changes that actually, um, you know, maybe are not as necessary, but need to be done as well to have a nurtured life. You make those decisions, you live with those changes. Um, and that's part of your grieving process. That's part of your spending time with, like Eve did with at, with Abel. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. And hope is, sometimes what happens is hope can become sort of an abstract idea. But you have to see hope as a concrete reality. And you see that in both of these. She can actually see the light, and in fact, she can touch the light. You know, Adam and Eve can walk to the sacrificial mount and make sacrifice and see hope. So you're right, the ideal of hope in some sense, can fall into this category. Because there are times when you're not going to have the same kind of hope, when it's just an ideal. When it becomes a concrete reality, then you have this, uh, then you have what goes on in these paintings going on for you. That makes sense. I mean, let's, so now, all the way back to the beginning. Now, I would pick on Rachel, but she's left, so I can pick on you, Howard. <laughs> no, actually, I mean, I would, I would like to press this how these two things can live together, but you can still achieve simplicity. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep, yep. And your responsibilities throughout life will change. Um, and when your responsibilities maybe diminish, then your identity, you're exactly right, it's a scale. It's got to balance each other out, right? But I want to, but I want to, I know, yeah. It is, yeah. But sometimes a personality can mask a real danger. There are lots of women who can do a lot of stuff, and their personality lends itself to that. That doesn't mean it's any healthier than people who can't. But you're right. Sometimes we can fool ourselves, too. I completely agree. Yeah. And again, it's hard because the rest of the world does it in completely the opposite way. But I wonder if just sort of, and again, and I think what both of you have said has been good, which is it may be simple, but it's not easy. Or it's not, you know, it's not uh, comfortable always. But I wonder if just sort of saying Christ is the most important thing. He saves me, he loves me, he gives me identity. And the second most important thing is the responsibility that I've been given in this time and this place. And then the third thing is everything else. Oftentimes, you guys are all good moms. Oftentimes in practice, it works something like this. One, two, like that. 
My responsibilities are the most important thing. Got to keep the house up. My husband works full time. Everything else comes after that. If I can do it, I can. And Christ loves me. That doesn't mean you're not Christian. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying that. But we lose our focus sometimes. We get out of order. We get out of whack. It might look something like this. Christ first, my primary responsibilities, and then everything else after that. And guess what? There may be a point in your life where this is all you can do. Christ and your responsibilities. And that's enough. And then, as Jeanette said, when the balance changes, this always remains first, but when the balance changes and your responsibilities maybe decrease, at least responsibilities at home, this can go up. I mean, if you look at, if you look at what's happened over the past couple of years, partly we've had, and I think I said this, part of the reason we've struggled is we've had people that had tons of responsibilities at home and tried to do everything else, and what happened, they couldn't do anything very well. And so stuff falls apart. So if we refocus our energy in this direction, that might help. You guys are awfully quiet. I hope this would be more enjoyable, but you all look like you're on the verge of tears. That's not what I wanted. <laughs> you said it. I didn't. <laughs> okay. So um, good. Well, let's keep going. Um, I mean, there are probably 100 pictures in this book. Some are very different. Some are of women who have killed their children. And you know, you've got biblical stories that aren't as peaceful and, and resigned as this. But I think it might be good to take a look at some of these, because um, they will teach us stuff. But I do think the most important thing is to learn how to grieve. If you can learn how to grieve, simplicity might be achievable. And simplicity, of course, is what Jesus is after. OK? Make sense? Yeah. Yep. Exactly right. Yep. And I had to move after. Yeah. Exactly. I could not do Yep. And and you're talking about grieving death, which is part of this whole discussion. But you're exactly right. There's no one answer to grief. Um and grieving takes I mean here's the here's the reality. Grieving takes a lot of time. No matter if it's stuff, people, ideals, friends, loved ones, it doesn't matter. All that takes time. Right? Yeah. And you're still not over it. And you never will be. But I think you would admit, every year that passes, it doesn't become easier, but you can sort of begin to move on a little yeah, bit better. Do. Right? Yeah. OK. All right, let's pray, and uh, we'll be on our way, OK? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.